Christian tradition, we start with hope. That's week one. It's good. We got to start with some hope, right? Uh, and then we move to peace, which Alex preached on last week, moving to peace. And then today we move to joy. And so we've got our uh, hope and we've got our peace candles lit here. Fun fact. Oh my goodness. Wow. That's dangerous. Okay. Remind me never to do that again. Alex joked about setting everything on fire last week. And I decided not to joke about that this week, but then I almost did set everything on fire. Uh, Steve, the guy. Yeah, I know. He would be the one that'd have to clean it up. So uh, <laughs> I helped you out there, Steve. I didn't burn down the building. Uh, but fun fact, I was like, why is Joy the pink candle? I've always wondered that. Has anybody else wondered that? I've always wondered why is Joy the pink candle? So I did a little bit of research because I'm a total nerd. And uh, fun fact, Joy is associated with rose in the Catholic tradition, which is pink. So that is why this candle is pink. Don't tell, I don't know why, like peace and I don't know why they don't have different colors, but if you were curious, that's why joy is pink. Uh, in my mind, pink would be love, but no, 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 no. So, uh, but hey, you know, we love traditions, right? We don't always know why traditions are the way they are, but we participate in them because there are so many people that came before us that participated in those same traditions. So how fun is it to know that as we light these candles today, we can think back to generations and generations and generations that have lit these candles every single Advent season. And so we're grateful to be joined by the family of God as we worship today. Um, but very briefly today, I want to talk a little bit about waiting because waiting is actually the entire point of the Advent story. Not only are we waiting for Jesus's birth with the Jewish people, we're being reminded of what it was like to wait for Jesus, the Messiah, but we're also waiting for Jesus to come, for him to come back to this earth to fully reveal the kingdom that he has started. It's the already but not yet that we sing about in Hope Has a Name this morning. And it's in this waiting that we are called to embody hope, peace, joy, and love. Not necessarily as emotions, but as the inner condition, a reflection of the inner condition of Jesus' heart. The state of being that Jesus was as he entered this world and throughout his ministry. Uh, if you know me, though, you know that I'm a very impatient person, and I'm not great at waiting. Um, I called Alex this week because I was working on my sermon, and I was like, hey, can you think of a time when um, I didn't wait really well or I was, like, impatient? And I kid you not, this man proceeds to, like, laugh for, like, 10 seconds on the phone. And then it's like, well, how do I choose? There are so many moments. And I was like, wow, thanks a lot. Like, okay, I knew I had a problem. But now I know that this is like a deep-seated issue in my life. So like all deep-seated issues, we look to our childhood, right? Because that's where all deep-seated issues come from. And I do remember as a child, well, some of this I remember. Some of it's just been stories you've been, I've been told, right? Of um, blowing out my sister's birthday candles. Um, or, you know, I would actually go to like my friend's birthday parties and I would blow out their candles. I was that kid. And you want to know why I did that? It's because I couldn't wait to eat 
cake, okay? Okay? Uh, next one, I would open my sister's Christmas presents and birthday presents, which they did not enjoy, as you can imagine. Um, like the oldest child, like coming in and doing everything for them. Uh, I even did it at Christmas time with my cousins, which, if some of you know my cousin Lainey, we're the same age and she's very competitive. So it annoyed her to like no end. Um, but, you know, I opened people's presents because I couldn't wait to see what they got, right? So obviously I have this like issue with waiting, but I don't think that I'm the only one. So although I may be a little extreme, I won't put my issues with waiting on you. Although I may be a little extreme, I don't think I'm the only person that struggles with waiting. In fact, we don't have to look farther than the pandemic to know that we struggle with waiting, right? I remember during that two months when we were all forced to stay home, uh, everybody was saying, you know, I can't wait to go shopping again, right? I can't wait to go to a restaurant and actually sit down at a restaurant again. I can't wait to have a party again. I can't wait to see my friends again. I can't wait for life to be normal, right? And what's so interesting is that research actually backs up this culture of impatience that we have. As I was doing uh, my work this week, I came across this bizarre study, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to share this. So there's this guy, his name is Timothy Wilson, out of the University of Virginia, and he did this study in which he took 42 people, and he individually told each of them, okay, I'm going to put you in this room by yourself, you're going to sit in this chair, and you just need to wait for me to come back. I'll be back in 15 minutes, okay? So this with each of these 42 individuals separately. However, he didn't tell them this. There was a button in the room that if they touched it, it was the only thing to do in the room. If they touched it, it would give like them a mild shock to their ankle, okay? It's like attached to the chair. And would you believe 50, almost 50% of the 42 people that were part of this experiment willingly shocked themselves, not once after discovering what it is, but multiple times, okay? This one's the kicker, though. There was this one guy that hated waiting so much, like he hated that 15 minutes so much, he shocked himself 190 times in the 15 minutes he was sitting there. I actually like did the math on that. That means he had to shock himself every four to five seconds. I was like, what? in the world, okay? We hate waiting, yeah? We hate waiting. Not only that, it's really hard to wait with hope, joy, peace, and love. Anybody ever been in the TSA line at the airport, right? No. It's not, I don't have peace, joy, hope, and love when I'm waiting in the TSA line, right? And yet, not only Advent, but almost all of the Christian life is about waiting, right? Waiting, not just for Jesus as we do in Advent time, right, for his birth, but waiting for him to come again in this already kingdom that we've seen a glimpse of, but the not yet. And so we find ourselves asking the question, how will we wait? Are we going to wait with hope, joy, peace, and love? Or are we going to wait in despair, turmoil, fear, and hate? You know, today's passage, we learned that there were two ways to wait. We can wait fearfully, or we can wait joyfully. I want to go ahead and recite Isaiah's song here in chapter 12 that Jack read for us earlier. 
it says, you will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Don't you love that? We serve a God that turns away from anger to comfort us. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. I will not be fearful. He goes on to say, For the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you draw, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, the day in which Christ is born, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. You know, we often quote passages from the book of Isaiah during Christmas time because there's this theme throughout the book of Isaiah that we call the messianic prophecies, okay? And that's a really fancy way of saying prophecies about the Messiah that is to come or Jesus who is to come. So although the book of Isaiah was written over 700 years before Jesus was actually born, uh, Isaiah is the most quoted prophet Uh, from the Old Testament by Jesus and his disciples later on in the New Testament. So we know that what Isaiah has to say was not only true, right, but also it's relevant to the current faith and life that we live. During this particular moment in history, Israel has gone through a lot of turmoil. So in Isaiah's writing, Israel is quite literally fractured. So uh, if you know anything about Israel history, if you grew up in Sunday school, you know there are 12 tribes of Israel, right? And so one of those tribes is called Judah, and it was kind of known as like the strongest tribe. Um, And so this tribe of Judah decides that they're going to split from the nation of Israel. So now there's the nation of Israel, and then there's the nation of Judah. And it's in the midst of this turmoil that Isaiah enters. And in chapters 1 through 5 of Isaiah, he rebukes city leaders, not only for their rebellion against God, but for their idolatry and mass injustice that was occurring during that time. He then receives this vision in chapter 6 from God in which he is in the temple and he's being overwhelmed by the gloriness and the holiness of God and he realizes how corrupt so many of his own behaviors and beliefs are and how corrupt that of the Israelite people are and he realizes, oh my goodness, I'm going to be overwhelmed. I'm going to be taken over by this gloriousness. I'm going to be destroyed by it. And instead of being destroyed by it, God comes and he purifies Isaiah in this vision. He washes him clean. He gives him his holiness and gloriness and says, I'll give some of this to you so that you may be holy in glory. And so Isaiah receives this vision, and then God says to him, you need to go to the people of Judah, you need to go to King Ahaz, and you need to tell him about what you've seen. And so Isaiah then goes to King Ahaz, the king of the nation of Judah, to deliver this warning and this vision which God has given him. And he tells King Ahaz, if he does not stop rebelling against God, worshiping idols, and perpetrating injustice, the kingdom of Judah will be cut down by a powerful enemy. But, Isaiah shares, even if and when Judah is cut down, there will be hope. 
And that hope comes in the form of Emmanuel, or God with us, or the person we know to be Jesus, who will be the ultimate ruler, who will be way better than the king of Ahaz ever was or ever will be, be way better than the emperors of today or the kingdoms that have been set up today or the presidents or the leaders or the rulers that surround us in our current culture. I give all of this context to remind us that the Israelite people had plenty to be fearful about. The king and the nation, they were corrupt. The leaders were unjust. The Assyrian nation, which was like the big powerful nation of that day, was inching closer and closer and closer to the nation of Judah. They were facing a potential enslavement, taxation, removal from their homes, death. And yet, after sketching out all of this despair in chapters 6 through 11, Isaiah says, but have hope in chapter 12. He sings this song or hymn of thankfulness for a Messiah that's going to come 700 years later. He says in verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. Like, hello, you want me to not be afraid? Right? He says, don't be afraid. For the Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Isaiah says, don't be afraid. Sing joyously. Know that a Savior is going to eventually be born, and the Savior is a much better king than you've ever encountered. If the Israelites were instructed to wait joyously, they were instructed not to wait in fear amidst everything that was going on around them. Should we not wait joyously in our circumstances? However, that's way easier said than done, right? It's like, oh, great. Yeah, sure. I'll choose joy over fear. No, fear is actually much easier of an emotion to feel than joyous a lot of the times, right? It's easy to get stuck in that cycle of fear that goes on and on and on in your head and a whole lot harder to actually see any sort of joy that goes on around you. Uh, Secular psychology actually backs up this idea of like hard joy in a sense. There's this uh, psychologist, his name is Rick Hansen, and he says the brain is like Velcro for negative experiences, but Teflon for positive ones. That's just such a good quote. Uh, Based on his research, he found it takes three seconds, only three, for a negative experience to be implanted on the brain and 14 seconds for a positive one to be implanted on the brain. He said the result is that the brain is tilted against lasting contentment and fulfillment. Our brains are quite literally wired to see the glass half empty and not the glass half full. We're wired to see and feel the fear, not to feel the joy. We're wired to dwell on the negative, to ruminate, and to not ever see the positive. So how do we wait with joy when our brains tell us to do the opposite, right? That seems impossible. First, we have to realize that our relationship with joy is not passive. It's active. It's a choice. We actually have to choose joy. 
Joy is not just like a simple emotion, as many of us have come to believe, although there is a component of it that is an emotion. But rather, when we look at the life of Jesus and we aspire to be like him, when we look at the fruits of the spirit, right, the character of who Jesus is, we see that hope, love, joy, and peace are actually a state of Jesus's heart. And so when we work to be more like Jesus, when we apprentice under him, it's the conscious choice to say, how do I change my heart to look more like the person of Jesus? To look more like a heart of Jesus that had the characteristics of hope, joy, peace, and love. To quote Henry Nouwen, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every single day. In the words of Richard Foster, the decision to set the mind on the higher things of life is an act of the will. I love that because, man, do I have to will joy sometimes. That is why celebration in and of itself is a discipline. It's not something that just falls on our heads. It's not the res- it is the result of a consciously chosen way of thinking and living. We have to choose to wait joyously, knowing that joy is found in the return of Jesus to this earth, in the personhood of Jesus himself. The Isaiah passage, although this beautiful song of joy, about waiting joyously despite our circumstances, it's not really like a prescriptive list of do's and don'ts. So in our current culture, we don't like go to songs to be like, how should I respond to this problem, right? That would be very strange. We would go to like a podcast, or we would go to a book, or we go to a mentor. And so similarly, when we look at like, how do we wait joyously, we've got to look at someplace else in the scriptures that gives us some guidance on how we do that, what that that's like. And there's actually this passage, it's in Philippians, Philippians 4, 4 through 8, in which this guy named the Apostle Paul gives us some direction on how we can wait joyously. It's also actually one of the passages that's listed today as part of our Advent Sunday in the church calendar. And the Apostle Paul, we've got to give like a little bit of context before I read this, because the Apostle Paul is not like living the good life, okay? So like generally speaking in American Christian culture, when we think of like pastors, our brains tend to go to like megachurch pastors that are living like the high life, right? That's like what we tend to envision. Um, That was not Paul's reality. So Paul is like a super star of the Christian faith, but Paul like scraped to make ends meet. Not only that, when he's writing in this Philippian passage, he is sitting in prison. And we know based on historical text, he probably never left that prison, probably died there. So Paul is sitting in a prison with every excuse to wait in fear. I don't know one person that sits in prison is like, yep, I'm going to wait in joy. That's what I'm going to do. Like, no, you're waiting in, he's waiting in fear, right? Or at least that's what I would think he would be doing. And yet he pens this letter to the Philippians as he sits in prison and says, wait joyously. Paul says, we're going to pick it up in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all 
overall understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As Paul is sitting in prison, and he's instructing the church of Philippi, which at this time, the church is undergoing quite a bit of persecution, to wait joyously. And he says, first, you have to give thanks. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice or give thanks to the Lord always. Again, I say give thanks. In our Isaiah passage in verse one, it says the prophet starts his song, or excuse me, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord. We have to cultivate a heart of gratitude, right? I want to just stop for a moment to say, um, for many of us, when we've had some sort of trial or tribulation or hurt or really catastrophic thing happen in our life, we've come to the church and instead of feeling like a place where we can talk about the difficulties of life, we've just been told like, be joyous, rejoice, like just go do that. Um, And I just want to take a moment to say mourning is actually a spiritual practice talked about in the scriptures. And it's one that I think the church at large has forgotten. We're actually instructed to take moments to mourn. And so when catastrophic things happen in our life, the immediate response is not always joy. And that's okay. There's actually space to mourn, and there should be. But I think sometimes we forget that joy is also a spiritual practice given to us to utilize. And honestly, it's an easy thing to forget, because the last thing you want to do is feel joyful when something really difficult happens. And yet at some point, we have to be like David and say, the Lord has turned my mourning into dancing, right? Psalm 30, 11. He's wiped my tears away. I can't keep it in any longer. I sing praise to the Lord instead. And although I know it can be really nice to say like, well, the Bible says give thanks, so give thanks. Actually, modern secular psychology does back this up. So Rick Hansen, who I quoted earlier, the Teflon and Velcro quote, or Velcro, yeah, Velcro, that was it, yeah. Uh, he actually talks about the best way, so he's done a ton of research on this, The one of the best way, nay, maybe even the only way to rewire our brain to stop constantly thinking about the negative, to not only think about those, you know, those memories that get implanted in three seconds, is to actually cultivate gratitude. He suggests that you find some things to be thankful about. And so I know as hard as it can be in situations where we feel no joy, we have to give thanks. It begins to change the way our brains think. Secondly, Paul says not only do we have to give thanks if we're going to wait joyously, we have to draw near to God in prayer. If Jesus' heart is the embodiment of hope, joy, peace, and love, 
We have to get to know him better to become that way ourselves. And the only way I know to know somebody better is to spend time with them, right? So I'm going to draw nearer to this individual. And the way we do that stereotypically in Christian culture, right, we call that prayer. Talking to God, listening to him, getting to know him better. Saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this moment, right? Or, Lord, here's all the things that I'm really annoyed about, right? Paul says, make your requests known to God. Hey, Lord, you know, I can be thankful that I woke up out of bed this morning, but I'm really angry about this, so help me out, right? We have to draw near to God in prayer if we hope to be able to embody the state of hope, joy, peace, and love. And lastly, to wait joyously, we must give thanks. We must draw near to God. And we actually have to redirect our thoughts. Paul says in verse 8, Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything at all that's worthy of praise, think about these things. Or in other words, redirect your thoughts. Right? If you can find any good at all, you just like gave an exhaustive list. If you can find anything, right? Anything at all, think on these things. You know, I'd like to say, my prideful self would like to say that I was impervious to everything that happened in 2020, um, but I was not. Uh, I would not necessarily call myself a relatively anxious person. That's not really who I am. But 2020 uh, was hard for me, and I definitely started developing some low-grade anxiety. And I remember there was this one moment at the beginning of 2021 where I was just like trapped in the rumination of like all of the negative thoughts and all of the negative negative things. I just couldn't get out of that headspace. And Alex and I talked about, I'm like, I think I need to go see a counselor. So in the beginning of 2021, I started seeing a counselor and I love her. She's amazing. Everybody see a counselor. Uh, She was kind of just, we were talking through something really difficult. This was a couple sessions in and, um, Yeah, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, this this difficult situation. I was ruminating and all the negative things about how difficult X, Y, and Z had been. And as we ended our appointment time, she said, okay, do you want some homework? And I was like, yes, I want homework because I'm like a total nerd. I'm also like a professor for a couple different classes, like at the universities in the area. So I was like, yeah, I want homework. And she knows this about me. So I'm like, give me a challenge. Give me something to do. And this was her homework. She said, I want you this week to journal everything you're thankful for. Like, write a really long list. And I was like, oh, okay. I just, like, had this really difficult thing I talked to you about. Now you're telling me to go journal everything I'm thankful for. Yeah, that's, I really want to do that homework. But, you know, I wanted to get an A. So, I sat down, and I did my homework. I tell my counselor these things, by the way, so she knows how crazy I am. So, I, like, sit down to, like, do my homework. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what am I thankful for? What am I thankful for? Okay, I'm thankful that I woke up this morning, right? Lord, I'm thankful that there's breath in my lungs. God, I'm thankful I don't have COVID. Like, seriously, praise the Lord. Lord, I'm thankful that I have an amazing husband. I'm thankful he makes me coffee every morning. It's amazing. I know how blessed I am. Lord, I thank you that I get coffee from him every morning. Lord, I thank you for my incredible in-laws who let us borrow their car this week while our car's in the shop. 
And he just kept writing, like, all of those things that I was thankful for. And let me tell you, I finished that list, and I didn't feel like a whole lot different about my circumstance, okay? But it was over the course of several weeks and several months, I started to notice a slight change in my thinking. It was like every time I started to ruminate on something really negative, it was like, you know what, though? What about this? You remember how the Lord really came through for you in that moment? Like, if he did that then, will he not do it again? Right? And it didn't happen overnight. And there are some days, folks, where I really struggle with it still, where it's like, can't escape the negative. But slowly and surely, every single day, five steps backward, two steps forward, those negative thoughts started becoming like 30% and not 70% in my brain. So we've got to wait joyously by being thankful, by giving thanks to the Lord, by drawing near to God in prayer, and by redirecting those thoughts. Uh, I want the worship team to go ahead and join me on stage. Um, You know, there are probably a lot of you in this room, and I recognize this. It's like, great, I'm so glad that works for her, but... Um, I don't have anything to be joyful about my life right now. Um, And I don't want to skirt past that. Um, I don't want to let that go without addressing it. I simply want to say, if that's you right now, you're like, I don't have anything to be joyful about. And I'm kind of annoyed that you do have something to be joyful about. (laughs) Um, I just want to say uh, Midtown is a family in which we really work to bear one another's burdens. And so if that's you today and you're like, there's a lot of negative in my life and a lot of fear and I don't have space for joy, I would encourage you to just take the first step by telling somebody about it. So we're going to create some space here at the end of service. We'll have a couple people on either side of the room. And if you're saying like, man, I can't find the space in me right now to be joyful, I would love for you to talk to one of our prayer partners about it. And hey, maybe you're like, I don't even want you to pray for me about it right now. Like, I can't even do the prayer thing. That's okay. That's okay. Simply talk to one of our prayer partners about it. If you don't feel comfortable with that, I know that can kind of be a nerve-wracking thing, especially if this is like your first time here. You're like, I don't know any of these people. Just find one of us after service. A lot of us have like little lanyard things on, or Alex and I will be in the back. We'd love to just chat with you for a little while. Um, If you're in one of our microchurches, which most of you are, and if you're not, we'd love to get you hooked up with one. Um, Share it with your microchurch leader, right? They're really there to like pastor you and shepherd you if you'll let them do that in your life. But whether that is you today and you're feeling that way, or maybe you're just simply sitting in this room, you're like, no, there's some things I can find joy about. I want to just encourage you to do one practical thing this week. You know, Isaiah sings this song of thankfulness in chapter 12, and I think it'd be pertinent for us to maybe find our own song. And I don't necessarily mean you have to, like, sing this out through your week, like you walk up to someone, you're like, oh, I'm so grateful. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I do want you to have, like, a little bit of, like, an Isaiah-like song that comes with the joy and the excitement of Jesus being born into this world, right? Of him coming again. Notice Isaiah says in 4, 5, and 6, he says, Proclaim his name, may it be exalted, all of his deeds among the peoples. Make it known to everyone. He says, Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout, sing, right? This is a little bit of like a 
public expression of what we're grateful for, of our gratitude. And so as Christmas approaches, as we were reminded of the great Holy One that Isaiah talks about, or the person of Jesus that is coming near to us, I want you to simply think of one thing, one thing that's worthy of praise, one thing that maybe God has done in your life this year, just one, not asking for a list, just one thing. And I want you to tell one person about it this week. Just share it, right? Hey, it sounds like, you know, after talking with you, it sounds like you're having a really difficult time right now. I'm sorry I've been there. I was thinking this week, though, and I have this one great thing I can be thankful for, and I'm just, I'm happy about it, right? I'm thankful that the Lord's done that in my life. Or maybe it's just simply sharing it with some of the people in your microchurch and saying, like, the Lord did this in my life this year, and so there's a lot of bad that's happened, but this one thing, man, I'm so grateful for it. you to spread the joy of Christmas that's found in giving thanks for what God's done in your life and just simply sharing it with one person. check out our website at midtownkc.church.